In every generation, there are chosen queers. We alone will stand against the cisheads, the straights, and the forces of darkness. We are the Gayers. Hello, and welcome to We Are the Gayers. Happy Strawberry Moon and Happy Pride. This is a fully spoiled Buffy podcast recorded in order of how much we like the seasons, starting with season four. And today we are talking about Buffy season four, episode four, Fear Itself. This episode originally aired on our Patreon in January of 2021 and features a special guest, our friend and resident artist, Theo Julian Forrester. Because we are now time traveling into the past, um, you are going to notice a dip in audio quality. Our old recording setup left a lot to be desired, and even having re-edited the episode from scratch, the raw audio is just a lower quality than what we are working with now. Um, For you audio geeks, we used to only record in MP3 format, and now we start in WAV, and you'll know that makes a really big difference, so... (laughs) Um, Yeah, if you're enjoying this podcast, please take a moment to leave us five stars and some kind words on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Reviews are really helpful, especially for new podcasts. And uh, I just want to say thank you to the folks who have already reviewed us, Banjo Clove, Frady Cat, and Roof E.O. If you want more Hashtag Ruthless, you can find us on our website, which is Hashtag Ruthless.com, on Instagram and Tumblr at Hashtag Ruthless Pods, and on Patreon, where you can binge three years worth of this podcast all at once at Patreon.com slash Hashtag Ruthless. If you like hearing us talk about campy media, which you do if you like hearing us talk about Buffy Season 4... Uh, Make sure that you're following our other podcast, The Gaily Planet, because all summer long we're doing summer camp where we talk about our favorite campy movies starting next week with Serial Mom. Finally, thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon or subscribes to our sticker club or both. You are the ones who make it possible for Hashtag Ruthless to exist and your support is literally paying our bills. Thank you. I think that's everything. We will be back on July 3rd for the full Buck Moon. And now, let's get into the episode. Hello, and welcome to We Are the Gayers, a podcast where we watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer and talk about it. I'm Lark Malachi Gray. And I'm Jesse Blunt. And I'm Theo Forrester. And on this time on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, we are talking about Season 4, Episode 4, Fear Itself, in which it's Halloween, y'all, and Buffy is still moping about Parker. The gang is going to a haunted house at a frat party because the dingoes are playing. While Oz helps set up the Halloween party at the frat, one of the guys inadvertently draws a powerful pentagram on the floor, and Oz accidentally gets blood on it, which is the beginning of summoning a fear demon. The Scoobies show up at the party right as the fear magic is really breaking loose. They don't realize at first something is up, but when they do, everyone loses their cool as the reality-bending fear magic gets to them and the scary decorations come to life. Anya, arriving late to the party in her iconic costume, sees a window disappear from the house and goes right to Giles. Inside the house, the group splits as everyone fears come to the fore. Zanny becomes invisible, Oz wolfs out, and Willow's magic gets, shockingly, out of her control. Buffy keeps her cool by getting fucking angry, which as far as the coping mechanism, may be better than moving over a fuckboy. 
though she does get attacked slash almost murdered by monsters, um, which legit fear. Giles and Anya arrive to save the day by a sexy chainsaw rolling Giles, and Buffy manages to get to the attic where everyone in the house is hunched over in their own private nightmares. Buffy destroys the symbol, which summons the monster, a mouse-sized demon that Buffy just stomps on. Another Tuesday for the Scoobies. Yep. Perfecto. So everyone, come with me now as we enter the bronze, where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. I have so many notes. Um, (laughs) I guess, can we start by talking about how intensely they just, like, pile on everything that we need to know for this entire season in this episode? (laughs) It's, like, so much foreshadowing. (laughs) Yeah, they crammed as much foreshadowing as you can possibly get into an episode. Yeah, and a lot of it feels really clumsy because it's coming out of nowhere. It's like, all of a sudden, everyone's like, Willow, you're magic. It's really dangerous. And Buffy's like, I can't always be saving you guys. And we're like, the only thing that we had uh, something leading up to was Xander being like, I feel out of place. The rest of it, it's like, what? (laughs) What's happening? But yeah, and then we also had Oz trying to control his werewolfism outside of the moon cycles, which is fun foreshadowing. Yeah, um... Also, not to mention uh, the commandos. And also just kind of like the very beginning of Willow, your magic is really kind of iffy. (laughs) Yeah. Also, we get the first like Buffy and Riley. Something is sparking in this episode, too. So, yeah, it's very heavy, very full. Yeah. Theo, do you want to go next? Uh, Sure. I think just... Very into Oz and his wit in this episode, on full display, hitting it out of the park the whole episode. This is truly an almost amazing Giles episode, so we'll talk about that later. (laughs) Wait, we were talking about Oz. Oh, sorry. Never mind. Sorry. (laughs) Yes, you're correct. We get some very peak Oz in this episode. Yeah. I definitely wrote down that he's too good for all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Just in general, I feel like Oz is too good for these people. He's definitely way too cool for everyone. Yeah. And like, not like in the sarcastic too cool for school, but like an actually like, oh no, you're like actually far too chill to be around this many high strung people. (laughs) I just feel like, like, I feel like Oz and Willow outside of the context of like Willow's friends makes sense to me, but like. The friend dynamic of, like, Willow and Buffy and Xander, it's like, Oz, you don't belong here. Like, you don't need to be putting up with this. You just, you had friends before you came into the Scoobies, right? Like, go hang out with them again. You don't, you can do better. (laughs) They do have a very codependent triad, Buffy and Willow and Xander. For sure. Yeah. They're always just picking at each other. They need to go to group therapy. <laughs> uh, all right, Jesse, you go. Uh, this is very small, but in like the first like five minutes of the episode, Buffy just clocks some random dude in the face, yes. and it's like, wow, I'm glad you were holding your punch because like you could have straight up murdered this guy. <laughs> I mean, don't jump on people at night in a mask <laughs> for one thing. Terrible idea. Right. He's so mad, and I'm like, 
excuse you like what did you think was gonna happen right yeah yeah i'm on the same boat as you jesse like would someone normal like that get up so quickly even if she was holding back like i don't know seems suspicious to me actually that's a really good point because if she thought it was an actual demon why would she have been holding back enough to not have just like demolished that guy's face maybe he is a demon but he's like a harmless demon that looks human enough to like be able to because like if you are a human in Sunnydale I feel like jumping out of anyone is a terrible idea and it's probably going to lead to you being eaten by something I love that theory that he's just like a demon who's like I can't do any real hunting on Halloween but I can fuck with everyone that's cute that or he like came in from out of state and he's just not hip to the Sunnyside rules yet (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he also goes to this frat and doesn't know anything about Sunnydale. Uh, cute. Okay, so Anya, as part of the Xander foreshadowing, does this whole like, I don't understand why you're friends with these people. And she's like, you don't have anything in common because they don't co- go to college and you don't and they don't live at home and you do, which is like two pretty non-important reasons to like not have things in common with people but also by that litmus she and xander also don't have anything in common because she has her own apartment and presumably a job which i think right now he doesn't have but the she presumably has a job point is my biggest point because i have a question which is like is she working and if not how is she paying for her apartment does she have a severance package (laughs) hope so you know okay okay i think and this is just because me and nicole are watching like season five right now mm-hmm. is that anya does not either doesn't have a job or doesn't have a traditional job i don't know if she's doing like weird side work for demons but she's definitely not like filing things in, like in an office or working at double meat palace or anything like that so I think yeah, maybe you're right that maybe she did get a severance package from DeHoffrin, which maybe makes sense. Super in character for DeHoffrin, yeah. Yeah. Or like when she created her teenage persona to come to Sunnydale, since her persona was like of a rich of a rich girl, maybe that maybe there was enough there was enough structure in her creating this that she has like money that she has access to. That's a great point. Also, she successfully robs a bank in season seven, so maybe she's just getting her money illicitly. <laughs> I could see that. Yeah. Because I feel like when Giles gives her the job in season five, she's just like, oh, okay, cool. And she's like so surprised, and I'm like, this is your first job. Or <laughs> yeah. like your first job where you're like coming in every day and you're like doing this transactional work, and you're like, I mean, they're basically business partners, honestly. Yeah. And, you're right, because she also, like, learns how money works by playing Life, <laughs> the board game. So now I'm like, where is her apartment? And how does that work? And maybe that's why they never go to her apartment, because I'm always like, Anya has this beautifully furnished apartment. Why would she ever stay in Xander's basement? But maybe it's some sort of, like, mystical, like, part of her severance package apartment. And, like, Xander can't, like, people besides her can't go there the little bit that we get in 
season five of her place. It's just a room. So I'm kind of like, maybe she's in some kind of like weird boarding house, like renting a room kind of deal, which would also make sense why they never go to her place and are always at Xander's. Would it though? Because anywhere but Xander's basement. <laughs> if it's a demon boarding house, possibly not. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> well, That's I don't know that. True. I don't know. Compared to where she came, maybe it looks all right to her. Maybe, you know, she goes for a purpose. She has her purpose served. She leaves. <laughs> like, it may not be. <laughs> d- dang, who cares? Like, that's probably not on her radar at this point. Yeah. Because I think from, like, the flashbacks we get of her, she kind of sticks around a little bit when she's doing her vengeance work, at least sometimes. Right. Yeah, she likes to see it play out. All right, I maybe could have put this in the ranty section, but I think it's short enough that it doesn't need to go there. But like, so carving pumpkins, very messy endeavor. They're doing this basically in Xander's bed. And then Buffy is laying in his bed, playing with this bowl of pumpkin guts, which is rude. And then she just gets up and like, walks away. She doesn't wash her hands and like, (laughs) she just like touches her clothes and stuff. I'm like, you are so slimy right now. Like, <laughs> either don't touch the pumpkin guts or, like, do some sort of continuity where we see her wipe it off with a paper towel or something. Because, like, I don't know. That's a ridiculous thing to get mad about, but I am mad about it. So, oh, well. No, I super hate that noise, that texture. I'm not about it. And even just, like, watching her play with it and her hand was all shiny. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah on the bed or on like beanbag chairs which i'm like yeah that's really a solid place to be like carving pumpkins good job that solid was like a really good joke that you accidentally made because they're like, the opposite of solid <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> thank you <laughs> uh i think for the record xander is probably washing his own bedding pretty frequently but I don't know. It's like right there and also the amount of A, bullshit monster grossness he gets up to and B, like, however much him and Anya are like fucking. So it's kind of like... Well, they aren't fucking yet. And also, they say that the night is mature and so everyone's leaving and presumably he's like gonna go to bed and he does not have time to wash his blankets before bed, so... He's sleeping in a pumpkin gut bed. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> sure is. <laughs> what imagery? <laughs> Part of me is like, it's probably not the grossest thing he's slept in on his sheets, but... No, but we don't need to talk about it. <laughs> then we won't. <laughs> uh, okay, Theo. Uh, I feel like the only other thing I had in this section was... I don't know just when they're in the cafeteria and it's all like super decorated up for halloween i like don't remember anyone putting any kind of effort into something like that in college like does the mm. school do it is there a club i mean i know they have their clubs and they like to put up their banners but i don't know it's just a <laughs> lot <laughs> i can't help with this question that's okay i feel like it depends on who like i guess the wherewithal of whoever's putting it up slash the effort they're putting into it um jesse uh this is very silly but the um attractive black dude in the scenes where they're setting up the pentagram and oz is doing his stuff who's like wearing yellow is in fact the og black power ranger 
Mm-hmm. I just wanted to <laughs> make sure we mentioned that. Zach. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's all. I, sorry, I was just like, do I know all the Power Rangers names? Yes. Okay, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> uh, I look forward to our special Patreon episode about Power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> Where I talk at length about Power Rangers Season 27, Power Rangers RPM, and also my intense feelings about Bulk and Skull. It's gonna happen. Okay, great. <laughs> Sounds great. I'm in. Perfect. Um, I love the part where they find Chaz in the closet and like he comes out and they like do the thing and then they're all like processing and Chaz is like, goodbye, I'm going back. <laughs> he just turns around and goes right back in the closet and shuts the door. And I'm just like, you get it. Like, great work. Don't team up with these people. They will lead you straight into disaster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Theo, you said you're done. Mm-hmm. Jesse. The scene where Anya's sitting outside the house and like, the girl is screaming for help and the window just disappears is like one of the few genuinely horrifying parts of this episode. <laughs> it's like legitimately scary. That girl is so good at screaming. Yeah. You're right. It is very scary. Um, okay. My last thing is just like, I want us all to hold a little space in our hearts for when Giles tells Xander that he's tacky. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I don't know if this is, are we talking about the whole Gaknar thing anywhere else? Because like, it's so good. It's so good. I don't remember where, I think I might have it split up, but we can talk about it now. I mean, we don't have to. I just think everything about it is so brilliant. Like, you're like, oh no, we're going to get this terrible, like seven foot tall, like fucking built demon that Buffy's going to have to like somehow defeat. And then it's like, you're the size of an action figure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah the end the end is so beautiful it's the where giles says like destroying the mark of gaknar and then just like waits while buffy goes and destroys it and then is like is not and he's like basically doing like a little watcher lesson on like the importance of active listening or something like that where he's like fine you don't want to listen to me speak to the end of my sentence then you get to fight the seven foot demon Buffy maybe you should think about your behavior (laughs) (sighs) anyway just such a good episode good end good good end to this episode Welcome to our new segment, April Fools, the deepest cut of names of any segment. This is the fashion segment. It's named after the store where Cordelia works for like two episodes in season three. I did not realize that's what it was called. And I'm like, there is no way that pertain to be fancy-ish boutique is called April Fools. The incredible thing is that I couldn't think of it this morning and was like, Theo, what's the name of that store? And he came back with it, like, immediately. There you go. <laughs> Very useless knowledge up in here. <laughs> no, no, this is this is perfect. Because, like, someone needs to have that, like, 
encyclopedic knowledge of small details because I'm just like, okay, this is important that we know this. <laughs> well, I think I was curious if that's also the same place where like Joyce stole her jacket or whatever it was from Van Candy. Like, was it the same store? Different name? I'm not sure if that store had a name. So here we are in the fashion section. I want to start with the thing that inspired me to make this section, besides the fact that we just end up talking about people's clothes a lot, but which is Aza's spiky punk bracelet. <laughs> so, just so good and so late 90s and so perfect. I just, I just, like, oh, Oz. Yes. I know, I was just thinking, um, I, I think it was just like a, a pair walking up to the frat house and there was a girl that had very wide leg pants on and I was like, oh, the good old days. <laughs> <laughs> but not because those pants suck. <laughs> I feel like the main thing I was paying attention to was people's costumes and there were some pretty good costumes in this episode. But I feel like the person who stands out just because it's like, you don't really, I don't know if you really, if we really see people playing with gender at all in this show, is the like random person that Willa runs into in the hallway who's like tall mm. and like beautiful and has this like feathery dress on and like a blonde wig. And I'm just like, why don't you ever come back as an extra? <laughs> yeah, I had the same question. I was like, <laughs> give me more of this friend of Willow's. Like, how dare you? <laughs> Yeah, the front definitely sashayed away. It was excellent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Theo, did you go? Um, I don't know. I feel like I didn't pay as much attention to fashion in this one just because of all the costumes. And I'm just... Those can count as fashion. Well, I mean, I think one that I had in a different section is just Willow and Chainmail. Pretty hot. I'm there for it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Willow and Aza is like like an A-plus couples costume. It's like an A-plus couples costume, but also I feel like Aza's costume is just so so him as his character that I'm just like, (laughs) it works really well. Yeah. I love a couples theme costume so much, so. But then I wonder, did did I miss, like, was there... The, the couple, the lobster guy and the girl that was like a present. Was that a some kind of thing I missed? <laughs> I tried really hard to figure <laughs> out if they, if they had a theme. Okay. I mean, it's what they were arguing about. Is that they each of them had a theme and neither of them just as the appropriate theme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the dude dressed as a lobster saw someone else dressed as a lobster and that's who he was checking out. Just like, oh, I wish that... You had dressed as a lobster with me. (laughs) Or a lobster fisher, fisher woman. The little yellow hat and the yellow. Anyway. (laughs) Big trap. (laughs) (laughs) That's made out of like cardboard. (laughs) I mean, that's like something you would absolutely see at Mardi Gras. Someone be on like. A bike that was their lobster trap, like chasing their partner dressed as a lobster. That is such a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) I have a list of like, uh, me and Nicole have a list of like couples Halloween costumes that I might 
need to put lobster and like lobster trap. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Anyway. Yes. Um, My only other fashion note for this episode was just Riley. Why is your shirt so big? (laughs) His shirt is like a minimum three sizes too big for him in that scene. Why? No, I feel like that was the look a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm like that. That was the style. I, I remember like. having t-shirts that I could wear as a dress if I wanted. But don't we usually see Riley in like pretty good, like well-fitting t-shirts? Is he just like, oh, I can't like go full hunk to my TA job because I'll just like make all the freshmen too horny during class or like. I just feel like it was it felt unexpected to me, which is why I made note of it. Because I was like, you don't do this. Xander does this. What are you doing? You know, he's trying to keep his uh, mild-mannered uh, TA <laughs> persona. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the cemetery where we talk about character development. Jesse start. Um, I feel like Xander's insecurity is maybe a sort of on and off reoccurring theme. And considering it takes a really long time for like Buffy and Willow to notice he's invisible makes me think that his fear a little bit is justified. Mm. (laughs) Which I mean, again, I deeply hate Xander, but like that sucks. It does suck. Uh, I also don't remember if we talked about how Xander would possibly be straight edge if if he was real, but... We have not talked about that. We should (laughs) maybe maybe wait until a different episode because we've been recording for 40 minutes. Yep, okay. (laughs) And it'll come up again. It's related to his, like, aggressively alcoholic family, so... Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, Theo, who do you want to talk about? Uh, I think Joyce. Okay. Um, it's just nice to see her again. <laughs> and I don't know, just kind of doing an excellent job momming and, um, you know, kind of mirroring some of her past to Buffy's present. And that was nice. Nice to see. I have a comment to that in that I feel really bad because I feel like Joyce's love life is like maybe on par with how terrible Buffy's love life ends up. And it's kind of like, oof. Yeah. Also a great reminder about how shitty Buffy's bio dad is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he really sucks. Hank Summers. It was hard, like, with Joyce, like, trying to make Buffy feel like, no, he really did care about you so much. And it's like, yeah, thanks. That's not true, but good good trying, Mom. (sighs) Yeah. I feel like this isn't necessarily character development but i don't know where else to put it like riley and buffy have this conversation and he's like why aren't you going out and having fun and then buffy's like what are you doing and he's like grading papers and that's also foreshadowing because like obviously he's gonna go dress up as a commando and it's like riley why couldn't you think of a better lie like you just gave her this like talking to about needing to have more fun then it bothered me that buffy doesn't like call him on that because he just did that whole thing but the main point is that the end of this conversation buffy's like no really thank you and like twinkly music starts and like we it's like clearly the music is like 
something just occurred and it feels very like i don't know it just like why she's like no really thank you and riley gets like star (laughs) eyes and is like thank you and then his like heart just like (laughs) follows her out the door and i'm like but why (laughs) i don't understand like what just took place between the two of you well that's why he needed the big shirt because his heart grew three sizes (laughs) (laughs) it was like just like a cartoon character (laughs) (laughs) okay i do have (laughs) Jokes aside, I do have kind of a theory about this. Okay. Because I wrote down that Riley's observation about Buffy making shit hard, hard on herself is, like, accurate. And that is a pretty astute observation from someone who sees her, like, what, like, two hours a week? Mm-hmm. And, like, maybe Buffy kind of appreciated someone being like, you're clearly struggling. You, like, don't have to struggle. <laughs> Especially if it's the things going on that you're making... That you're creating your own struggles, which in some way or another is a thing that Buffy definitely struggles with. So, like, I think it's maybe being seen like that Mm. by, like, this attractive dude, Mm -hmm. you know? I think that might be why Buffy has, like, a little bit of, like, oh, little hard eyes, you know? But what's Riley's excuse? Buffy's incredibly hot. That or he's like, wow, someone who can, like take criticism and be grateful and it's like <laughs> enjoy it riley because it's the last time it's ever gonna happen <laughs> yeah bro <laughs> okay uh jesse what else uh i just want to talk a little bit about anya okay just because we get the beginning of the it must be bunnies <laughs> thing about her intense fear of rabbits and I just love it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like, I don't know. She just has some like really good like character bits. Like when she's like knocking on the blank wall <laughs> of the house to be like, think I'm doing like I'm doing the thing. <laughs> Why isn't this working? <laughs> also, she's so confident in that bunny costume. Like the way that she walks with those like giant feet on, but she still somehow manages to make it like a swagger. And you're like, Anya, get it. Yeah, I definitely had that like in the sexy stuff. Just even like, even like the <laughs> idea that like pretty much all the Scoobies, they don't wear like the traditional like hot, sexy Halloween costume, which just makes it more sexy. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was funny that Buffy's was like, seemed like the her situation was like accidentally like sexy red riding hood because she was just wearing a costume from when she was 12 and she's taller now mm-hmm. so it wasn't like she went for a super short skirt she just like didn't have a costume and was like i'll rewear this one oops it shows a lot of thigh <laughs> i don't know that like made me that made me happy because it felt like very i'm sure unintentional commentary on the like but make it sexy halloween costume theme part of me also wonder if there was just like someone in the writing room be like what is the funniest costume we could put literal smoke show emma caulfield in? <laughs> and they're like we have ridiculous bunny costume <laughs> uh, yeah 
we also get that part with Anya where she like goes to Giles and she's like, we have to save Xander. And he's like, where's everybody else? And she's like, oh, they're trapped too, <laughs> yeah. but Xander. <laughs> and oh, you mean those people I have to put up with in order to date Xander? I guess yes. they're in trouble too. Which I mean is legit. <laughs> uh, anything else about Anya? Theo, do you have anybody else here? Oh, I had Oz. Just like the whole concern for Willow's magic little speech. I was like, he did it in a way that was like, you know, I care about you and I will stand behind you no matter what, which I really respected. I was like, relationship goals right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he went about it in a really great way. He was also, as it turns out, very correct <laughs> about Willow and her magic. Yeah. I have like a rant about that for later. Okay. <laughs> I do, though, I don't want to like let our conversation about Oz pass without just being like, he does such a great job with his being God costume. Even if we just got the part where Xander's like, I could have been God and Oz just quietly is like blasphemer. <laughs> like that on its own would have been enough but then we get the scene where he like cuts the cuts the cord to the like spooky sounds in the in the house and Buffy's like oh thank god and Nas is like you're welcome and she's like god you're the best I feel like for sure the second one you definitely almost miss Mm -hmm. I was watching the episode with the captions on I'm like did I ever even catch the like blasphemer line I'm not even sure Yeah, his his sense of humor is just like perfect. All right, I have like a friendship development observation thing. Just that moment where Willow's explaining her costume and she's like, plus she had that close personal relationship with God. And Xander's just like, whatever, Oz, what are you dressed as? But Buffy just gets this like, what the fuck look on her face because she's like, Willow, you what now? And I just felt like that was like really good, a really good showing of what kinds of relationships these three are having with each other. That's such a good point. Welcome to the Hellmouth, where we talk about politics and things that are fucked up. Like Buffy thinking that she's reached her quota on someone's, <laughs> which I put here because it's just like some purity culture <laughs> bullshit. Because like, I don't know if we should count Scott, but if she's counting Scott, she's at three. And like, if we're counting Faith, she's at four, but she's not <laughs> counting Faith. Should count faith then yes yes <laughs> right but like if we don't count scott and we do count faith then we're still back at three so like I, she's 18 years old like i think i had had nine relationships that lasted more than a month when i was 18 years old buffy chill the fuck out like chill the fuck out you dated like 2.5 people I mean, we can't even really count Parker as someone that she's dated. It's like, you've slept with two people. You're 18. You're fine. Like, you started being sexually active when you were 15 or 16. One of those. 16? So season three is senior year. Season two is junior Junior. year. So So she's 16 16 or 17? 17. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, 
two people in two years when you're like a horny young person you you're so far outside of quota that like you you aren't even like looking at quota i mean there isn't a quota but like you know like you're it's not even in the realm of discussion and i just like i don't know i just like really don't like the i mean this show like hates sex right like a lot and it's weird because it pretends to be so sex positive while also like perpetuating these like purity culture myths like Buffy's reached her quota. I don't know. I, it just like made me really mad. I feel like, okay, so I guess there are like two things going on. So, I mean, number one to that point is that like the writers not being as sex positive as they want to pretend they are. But also I think that one of another one of Buffy's struggles is like her sort of grappling with the fact that even though she has grown up and absorbed all these like white middle class slash middle class values it's like that's just not your reality Buffy (laughs) and also like fucked up purity culture is like one of those things you should be throwing away regardless let alone the fact that like I'm sorry you're not gonna live that like white middle class life because you're a fucking vampire slayer (laughs) sorry sorry babe like it's just not (laughs) gonna happen and I think maybe this is like one of those things just because like it's one of the things that's like under her control perhaps I don't know. It feels like she's shaming herself about it. I don't know. I get the feeling that Buffy carries this idea that like you're only like supposed to sleep with one person kind of like there was some sort of failure in the fact that like she and Angel broke up and then she was like maybe it's not a failure and so she slept with Parker and now she's like oh that just like confirms it sex is bad and I'm bad for like having sex. And I guess maybe part of this is to set up like her healthy sex, sexual relationship with Riley that she has for the rest of this season. But I don't know. See, I don't know. I may have missed exactly what she said, but I kind of took it like her quota more from like the stance of like really being heartbroken over somebody. and was just like, I'm done. Mm. Not that you should be heartbroken over Parker, but I can see that, like, that was the first person in a while that she'd really, like, opened herself up to the possibility, got vulnerable with in a way, and then he just destroyed her. So I kind of took it that way. That's fair. That's much more charitable. (laughs) I can't remember if it's, like, was in the last episode or if we haven't come to it yet. The part where they're like, oh, yeah, Buffy's, like, really racking up the exes. Have we done that already? I don't remember. I don't think so. Okay. So I think I was also thinking about it in the context of that, because it's just like, what do you mean? Like, that's and so I guess I feel like because I know that somewhere in the Buffy universe that exists and I'm like, I don't know where I guess I felt like Buffy was thinking about it in that context also of just like, oh, I can't make I can't make relationships work because I've broken up with. 2.5 people (laughs) like chill out buddy i think it's also important just to know how profoundly her relationship and subsequent breakup slash angel turning into a literal goddamn monster like fucks with her head and affects every relationship we see that she has from here from like season three on yeah and it's just like you have let angel crawl 
right up underneath your skin about all your future relationships. And it's like, Angel's also a fuckboy. Like, you don't have to make it this way yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Especially because I think she never stops feeling like he's like her soulmate or whatever. And like, if she thinks about her life in context to that, she's like, that's going to be a sexless existence because we won't be able to fuck without him losing his soul. Her relationship to sex is like super, super extra fucked up because of that. Yeah. And also, I guess we'll talk about it in season two, but like, yeah, nothing says sex negative like Buffy has sex for the first time and her boyfriend literally loses his soul and becomes a, like, terrible, like, nightmare creature. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Theo, what do you have here? Uh, I guess the cultural appropriation of Halloween costumes. (laughs) No, Giles, no. (laughs) And that douchey polo shirt guy. (laughs) (laughs) I I wrote, Halloween is about getting laid, says the man about to wear a Rasta dread hat as his whole costume. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, (laughs) what? Yeah, nothing seems least conductive to people wanting to fuck you than wearing that as your costume. It's right, and it's also like two really fucked up things in one fucked up human being package. Like, really? (laughs) Really? Yeah. I feel like even with Buffy... I don't know, just when Buffy walks in and, like, just how unamused she is, I'm like, I wish you were not amused for the reason I'm not amused, but I will still take it. <laughs> it got him to take off the hat, yeah. so thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, his racist costume does not age well and is especially more frustrating in a show that takes place in Southern California with very few Latinx characters that have speaking roles, and it's, like, it's just... It's it's very infuriating, and I'm like, oh, Giles, of of all the costumes they could have put you in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Welcome to the Magic Box, where we rant about stuff. Uh, I only have two rants, but I'm going to start off with the one that burns me the most, which is. <laughs> Xander says that he takes people's words at face value, yet yells at Anya literally every single time when she's being the most blunt. And I'm like, that is a goddamn lie, Xander Harris. Mm -hmm. And I am deeply offended that you literally told that to her face. (laughs) Yes, he only takes it at face value when it's in line with his agenda. Otherwise. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Mm hmm. The sex with Xander must be incredible for Anya to, for in order for Anya to be still talking to Xander. <laughs> and yeah. the bullshit that comes out of his mouth. Yep. For sure. I mean, she tells us it is, so. Which seems surprising, but whatever. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go just like the complete opposite direction here. Imagine eating a peeled grape in a frat house. <laughs> Uh, yeah, gross. Of all the <laughs> terrible decisions that Xander makes, I might, this is really high up there. Like, <laughs> put that down, sir. <laughs> Listen, if anyone out there listening has ever eaten a grape in a frat house, you do not have to worry about what's in the COVID vaccine. 
good. It's just like, I mean, especially because those grapes are not for eating. Like, you know that they did not wash their hands or like their kitchen before peeling these fucking grapes. Ew. Sick. Anyway. <laughs> it's too gross for me. All right, Jesse. I don't remember if this is the only time it comes up, but uh, Willow is like when they're in the haunted house. It's like, oh, so being the slayer makes you boss. And and I'm kind of like, when there's just some fucked up supernatural shit happening, it kind of does, actually, maybe. Like, everyone else is freaking out. Buffy's like, I got some weapons in the basket. I'll just fucking kill it. Whatever. And I'm like, that's, I think that's a like a very reasonable plan of action. <laughs> Obviously not all the time, which is sometimes where Buffy fumbles sometimes. But in this specific instance of nightmares made real haunted house she is in fact the boss the boss with the tiny crossbow <laughs> <laughs> she had to find the tiniest crossbow to enter that, that picnic basket <laughs> i feel like it's like the appropriate size for like number two pencils and that's about all you need a tiny crossbow to fight a tiny demon <laughs> but oh my god okay. <laughs> <laughs> she just like got down on the floor. <laughs> she probably would have saved some weird gunk on the bottom of her shoe, is all I'm saying. That's true. Um, I guess sort of in the same vein as that, like, the reason her and Willow get in this fight is because Buffy's like, Willow, you can't help with magic, and Willow's like fuck you yes i can which like i do think that's legit i don't know like jesse you've said a couple times like oh they're right about willow's magic but like at this point i disagree with you like everyone's acting like she's just like fucking up all the time and she's like being really dangerous but like do we all remember when Willow was like half dead and still summoned Angel's soul back from the ether? That is true. In the hospital, like everyone's like, oh, Willow, are you ready for conjuring? And it's like, where have you been? Of course she's ready for conjuring. Like, if you want to support her, don't tell her to like stop or slow down. Like, make sure that she's being safe and doing a good job. And like, I don't know, is Buffy's like, your spells are 50-50 at best. And I'm like, we have never seen a spell go awry, I don't think, from Willow so far. I mean, I think just the accidental one where she everything she said came to pass when she was mad. But but that's, that's actually later this season. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Did any of her magic go awry last season? I mean, last season we saw her, like, magically break the fucking, like, bonds that the mayor put over the box of whatever the fuck it's called. And, like, you know, the mayor knew what he was doing with the black magic shit. And Willow was like, oh, I got this. Like, don't worry about it. And they were all like, yeah, Willow, you've got this. And all of a sudden everyone's like, Willow, with the magic. I don't know. I'm not sure about this. And I'm like, hmm. I think the writers are trying really hard to make us be ready for when everyone's fighting later in the season, because this just came out of left fucking field and it doesn't make any sense. You know, that's totally fair. 
Because you're right, we don't see any of her magic go wrong until later this season and, well, beyond. So, yeah, I'm here to chalk it up to the writers being too ham-fisted about this. Was obviously going to be structurally relevant in later episodes. (laughs) Right. (sighs) Yeah. All right, last thing. This Abbott and Costello joke. I had to look it up. I mean, because like, this is not, this is not something that like anyone under the age of like 50 in 1999 understood. Apparently Abbott and Costello comedy duo of your had a Halloween movie called hold that ghost, which apparently has no plot though. It was lauded for having more plot than their other movies. But I read the plot synopsis and I was like, this is not a plot. And to that point, I still don't understand why going into a haunted house would make it traumatic for them. Like, it's not even a good joke. And it's a joke that's like completely out of character because Buffy does not know who Abbott and Costello are any more than I do. Fair. Yeah, that is fair. I wonder if it's kind of part of whoever wrote this episode trying too hard. Because I feel like there's other like allusions to other horror movies and i know i thought that there was a a few abbott and costello movies where they're like being chased by a mummy or like meet frankenstein and like stuff like that i mean i've never seen Look at abbott you costello knowing movie. about abbott and costello <laughs> i can't tell you why i know about that <laughs> but even if that's true like why would it I'm just trying really hard to understand the joke. She's like, if I was Abbott and Costello, this would be fairly traumatic. And I'm like, maybe I'm thinking about it too literally, but I'm like, okay, so they made monster movies. Why would being in this haunted house be traumatic for them? Like, because these decorations are better than their decorations? Like, what? what is the joke here? I don't get it. It's not important, but I'm also upset about it. <laughs> Okay, so to the best of my limited knowledge about Abbott and Costello is that they were in like a lot of like, I don't, I don't think they were supposed to be like intentionally cheesy, but like, you know, they're in, a me- they're in a movie where it's like they meet Frankenstein and I'm sure the visual effects were like very low budget or something. Mm-hmm. Like when even were they even doing this stuff in the fucking 20s? I think it was, it was during the Great Depression. So 30s. Yeah. If anyone can explain this joke to me, please do so. That's my request. And now I'm going to move us on to the next section. (laughs) Welcome to Spike's Crypt, where we talk about sexy stuff. Um, just, you know, Daddy Jaws with a Chainsaw. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I, don't, I feel like I don't need to say anything else. Nope. Yep. <laughs> so hot. Just that glimmer in his eye every time he cranks it up or whatever you do to a chainsaw, rub it. I don't know. Yeah, it's like starting a lawnmower. <laughs> I did want to know that seemingly because chainsaw giles is so like confident and determined the haunted house can't get to him like (laughs) he just makes his way straight up to the goat room like he's like the walls closed up behind us like that gaknar had no power over giles 
and his chainsaw, which I think also is very sexy. Yeah. <laughs> the listeners at home cannot see the two of you nodding. You're gonna <laughs> <laughs> I am nodding very vigorously. As am I. Oh, <laughs> <sighs> uh, that's all I had here also. Theo, did you have anything else? Not really. I feel like Kackner's look just was like some kind of kink, but other than that. <laughs> 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 yeah, isn't he wearing like a leather outfit that has like a bunch of straps on it and shit? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's all. Okay. I, my brain immediately was like, he has barbed wire wrapped around his face. I don't think that's what you mean. I just like, I didn't even get to the clothes. <laughs> I mean, probably someone in this world has a barbed wire fetish, so. Very well, might. <laughs> I mean,. It kind of reminds me a little bit of like the villain from like Hellraiser that has like the pins stuck in his head, mm-hmm. which is horrifying, but also like seems like va- vaguely kink adjacent. I don't know why. Oh, actually, I have one more thing. Yes. Uh, just an honorable mention to Chaz with the dreads for being a cutie. Mm-hmm. Whatever that coat is, band director, army dude. I don't know. I can't really tell the difference. Uh, it's like very hot. And like, yeah. he was just like really wearing it. It was, it was really good. Definitely agree. Welcome to the library where we talk about magic and science and magical science. <laughs> This is like half just like, I don't know if petty is the right word, but like half a science question. Um, science. With big quotes. I am glad that polo shirt dude slash Rasta hat dude broke his neck. Just that's the petty piece. I'm really glad that guy died. But my question is, was he really dead or was that part of the like... Gaknar thing he really fell down those stairs like I feel like he was really dead but I couldn't tell like if people who died in the you know Gaknar simulation died in real life or not I don't know but I kind of want to say yes because he was a bit of a douche yeah (laughs) well yeah and too I mean like when they all end up in the you know top floor room like you can watch the other people freaking out like about their personal fear but like i don't know if it was was it buffy looking at them but like couldn't see any of those things happening like the the little lights were so maybe like but but she did see him with his neck all so maybe and she didn't see him fall down the stairs right Mm -hmm. cool i think that means he's really dead one for the good guys Okay. Um, yes, Theo. I feel like we need to call Evan in. I want to know about the structural integrity of this frat house after chainsawing through it. Does it go back to normal? <laughs> Do, like, I just need to know, like, does that damage last? Do the windows and doors come back? Were they ever gone? Giles said that the walls closed up <sighs> behind him. Okay. 
It just seems very unsafe to go willy-nilly cutting things with a chainsaw, but... You know, the the biggest unsafe thing is that those walls are full of, like, electrical shit. That was definitely unsafe. (laughs) Unless Giles was, like, finding exactly where the doors would have been and chainsawing through so that he wasn't cutting through electrical. We didn't see him with his stud finder. (laughs) 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 That was lovely. (laughs) (laughs) They do probably have to do with that giant hole in the floor that Buffy punched through. (laughs) Yep. I feel like that's a casual Friday night at a frat house. Honestly, fair. (laughs) Um, I don't have much for this section, Um, but I do appreciate the sort of allusions to like friday the 13th and like freddy cougar with the like you're trapped in your own fear nightmare and like the sort of vague allusion to like texas chainsaw massacre when you get the silhouette of giles with the chainsaw which i appreciate as like nods to other horror movies but also i found out when i was looking at this episode <laughs> is that the outside of the frat house is the exact same house they use for the outside shots of the house in american horror story where they have their, like, nightmare murder house. For those of you who've watched Murder House, just some, like, trivia for you guys, for everyone. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of We Are the Gayers. We will be back on July 3rd for the full Buck Moon. In the meantime, check the show notes for all of the places that you can find us. And if you want to find our friend Theo, he is on Instagram at Theo Julian Forrester. Or you can subscribe to our sticker club because Theo makes about half of the stickers that we release through that. And they're really great. Um, make sure you're following the Gaily Planet so you can hear us talk about campy movies all summer. And until next time. It's the hell mouth, bitch. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>